stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, lovely listeners. Are you ready for more vilification? The story, that is. <laughs> Good. I have my delicious tea right here. Mmm, piping hot. And I'm ready to continue this week's story. Part 4 of Vilification by Shannon Higdon. In this episode, we see Daniel endure the fallout of Sophie, his monstrous creation. And what Daniel will do next, after seeing his wife brutally murdered by this creature. So strap yourself in. Grab yourself your own hot beverage, turn off the lights, the sound up, and get ready for something different. In Daniel's lifetime, he had gotten to see a lot of crazy things. Money will do that. He had woken up in some extremely unusual and often disturbing situations. Once, he woke up in a random backyard in a doghouse. No idea how he'd gotten there, or thankfully, why the dog wasn't there. Waking up in that room on that day, however, was something he would never forget. No matter how hard he tried, Mary's blood covered nearly every inch of the room with viscera and shredded flesh strewn throughout. Daniel threw up. The room looked like something out of a horror movie, and the floor was so covered in her that just getting out was difficult. He ran down the hall to the shower, leaving a trail of blood and vomit behind him. As the hot water tried its best to wash away his sins, Daniel struggled to figure out what to do. How does one handle a situation like this? He couldn't call the cops. They would put him away for life, or worse. Maybe worse was better. Did he really deserve to live after this? He had brought that thing into existence, and it had killed the only woman he ever loved. Now, it was not only Daniel's life that had been destroyed. One thing was for sure, Sophie could never be brought back. He had been fooled to think that this was something he could control. He hadn't been thinking clearly in years. What the hell was he going to do? He couldn't check into a rehab center. It was going to take everything he could manage just to keep people from looking too closely at Mary's disappearance. He would have to go cold turkey, and he would have to do it here at the house. When all of the hot water was used and Daniel was forced from the shower, he marked a calendar on his desk with a big X. This was to be day one, and he figured it would take at least 30 before he'd be through any withdrawal issues. If he ate well, got lots of fluids and exercised, then maybe less. At that moment, with the towel draped around his waist and his wife's blood drying in his study, Daniel's motivation was strong. Seven hours later, not so much. 
He had cleaned out all the narcotics in the mansion in the first 30 minutes, but there hadn't been a lot to start with, most having been relocated to the cabin some time ago. The gung-ho Daniel didn't think through how hard an abrupt cessation of a substance dependence was going to be, but the clawing at the wall Daniel that showed up a little later was starting to get an idea. Being able to wean down was ideal, that had been the plan all along, but Sophie had turned into a great incentive to go with the new plan. Around 8pm he started getting a little nauseated, and a lot antsy, pacing every room in his colossal abode, except the study of course. It did nothing to alleviate the sensation. Every room he would walk into would be an expedition for items he could kill himself with. There were knives in the kitchen, antique guns in the study, swords hanging in the library, or for that matter he could hang himself in the library. The banisters were quite sturdy. The entire endeavour was becoming unhealthy, so he decided to take a walk. There was a pretty nice sized public park less than a mile down the road. The evening air was cool, and he thought it would feel good. He was right, it did. The park was very Norman Rockwell, with just a scattering of people. There were two young lovers picnicking in the grass. A couple of boys around 12 or 13 were tossing a baseball to each other, while desperately trying to flirt with a couple of girls who were obviously too old for them to have a chance with. An elderly couple canoodling on a bench, and finally a man in his 20s tossing a frisbee to his beautiful golden retriever. No one looked in Daniel's direction as he shuffled his way to a bench all the way in the back of the park. It was as relaxing as it could be, which is to say, not terribly. The bench sat on the edge of the park's property with a large cornfield at its back. Daniel could hear the cars whipping by on the interstate highway he knew to be at the far end of that cornfield but could never see from the park. Dusk was starting to settle in and Daniel watched the old people help each other up to leave and started silently weeping. Why was he doing this? Could he really go on in this life without his beloved Mary? The pain was so overwhelming on all sides. The physical, the psychological, and the spiritual. Pulling himself into a fetal ball on the bench while rocking back and forth, something caught his eye. That couldn't be. It was. Tucked into the grass next to the bench was a crack pipe with a large crystal waiting to be smoked. Daniel looked around frantically. This felt like a setup or something. Do people really leave shit like this just lying around in public places? Something reminiscent of Boy Z in the hood, although he was about as far away from the ghetto as possible. The internal struggle turned out to be not much of a struggle as he scooped up the pipe. This had to be fate, right? It had to be. Because as fortune would have it, he had a lighter in the sports coat he had chosen. Just one hit, he told himself. Just one hit to help with the withdrawal. She won't show up if I don't think about her. Not here, in the open like this. The logic was sound according to the addiction. And so, 
he took the flame to the pipe. He closed his eyes as he exhaled, and it did feel good for a second. Then there was a scream from around 50 yards away, and Daniel's first thought was that someone had seen him and he would need to get the hell out before that someone called the police. It wasn't that. It was the teenage girls who had been ignoring the boys. They had screamed. Well, one of them had screamed. It was apparently a reaction to her friend having just had her head cleaved from her body by Sophie's massive clawed hand. She was bigger now, even from that distance. He could tell she was at least six or seven feet tall at that point. She's growing! The second girl tried to scream again, but it died in her throat, and she was eviscerated as well. Sophie was fast, too fast, scary fast. Without wasting time inspecting her kills, she ran immediately to the man with the dog. He was a good 30 yards away from Sophie, and she covered the ground in two seconds flat. The man tried to fight, and his faithful companion jumped into the fray as well, locking his jaws onto her long black tail. What the fuck? She has a tail? Both efforts were futile. Daniel couldn't see how the man went down as Sophie's back was to him, and it was getting dark very quickly. But he did see the dog go flying through the air, landing with a thud and a whimper. Daniel stood up. He wanted to run, but his legs wouldn't work properly, trapped in a dream state where every step is through mud. Run, 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 run. run. Run, damn it, run! Why aren't you running yet? Sophie was eating the picnickers now. Well, not eating exactly, more like excessively biting them. He could see the old couple barely through the dusk. They were nearly to the entrance. They're gonna make it! Having seen what she had done already, Daniel should have known how stupid that thought was. She caught them at the precipice of the entrance, between the large stone pillars that served as a gate. It was impossible to see with detail, but he could see slashing motions, different angles of light bouncing off her slickened skin. He heard wailing, the old woman, and it made his soul ache, not because she was screaming in pain or fear, but rather in loss, a sound Daniel now knew well. The howling ceased abruptly and somewhere deep inside. Daniel was jealous of the old woman. At least they were together now. Everyone in the park was now dead, except him. He was still stuck in cement, a deer in headlights. Run! He took one step. Run! Two steps, then three. He was behind the bench now, and you could see Sophie look up at him from across the darkened park. Two glowing embers. Run! Why aren't you running? You should be, because she was beginning to run. Finally, he did. Daniel ran blindly into the cornfield, waving his arms as Stork struck him in the face and going as fast as his malnourished and drug-ravished body would carry him. There is no way this is fast enough, at least not as fast as her. He tried to look over his shoulder to see if she was upon him yet, but he was blind in all directions. Was he even halfway yet? He could still hear the cars on the busy interstate, but they didn't sound like they were any closer. 
Breaths became shorter, his chest refusing to expand to any useful capacity, while he struggled to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Suddenly, there was some light. Headlights, several of them zipping by. The cars were significantly louder now, but that wasn't the only sound Daniel heard. Something was behind him, something big. The hulking force of whatever Sophie had become was crushing a huge swath of corn stalks in her wake. It was nearly as loud as the cars. Then he was free of the corn and onto a paved surface. Daniel looked over his shoulder in time to see a long black arm swiping at him. Its fingernails replaced with long razor blades that would make Freddy Krueger blush, glinting in the headlights from the car. The car! The impact sounded worse than it felt, unconscious almost immediately. He rolled end over end like a rag doll down the center stripe. The fact that no bones were broken was nothing short of a miracle. The driver of the taxi that struck him said it looked like he was being chased into the road. When the police asked if he saw anyone pursuing him, he had to hesitate before he answered. It happened so quickly that there was no way he could have seen what he thought he saw. In that split second though, he decided to answer simply, No, I didn't see nothing. Upon discovering his identity, they contacted his former assistant Andy because they weren't able to get in touch with his wife and Andy was still listed as an emergency contact. Andy, it seemed, had been waiting for that call for a long time and it was he that arranged to have Daniel brought to the very exclusive Mandahari Medical Center. It had been a plan for a long time although, initially, it was simply to be utilized as a detoxification and rehabilitation facility. Andy had it in his mind for a while that one of two things were going to happen. A. Daniel Winchester was going to want his life back at some point and get his shit together. Or B. He would die. This wasn't exactly either of those circumstances, but Andy wasn't going to waste the opportunity of being able to decide Daniel's destiny while he was unconscious after getting hit by a car. Andy had no doubt that Mary felt the same way and would have agreed with the decision had anyone been able to find her. It was for the best. And so concludes part 4 of Vilification. Daniel has been through hell and back, and he's not out of the woods yet, not by a long shot. Join me tomorrow for part 5 of Vilification. I promise you, you won't hear the sound of tapping the same way again. A big thank you to you for listening, and if you know someone out there, a family member, loved one, a good friend, that would love to listen to unique stories daily, send me to them and I'll take care of the rest. Join me tomorrow, and as always, till next time.